father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious! Well, hello there, and welcome to this seventh installment of What's Lightsabers, Precious? The Star Wars and Lord of the Rings Encyclopodcast, where we waste time on fictional wikis. Are you a cowboy, Joanna? What in tarnation is a cowboy? I'm a Middle-Earth elf, and this is how we all talk. Is that elvish? Hey, that's what elvish sounds like. Well, hooey. No, it's not really, actually. Oh, okay. I just thought I'd open it with a bit of flavor. Well, I yeah, I was taking some, some smoky mesquite barbecue flavor from that yeah, intro. Yeah, you gotta keep things fresh when it's your seventh episode. We all know the dreaded seventh episode slump, so I'm trying to change things up, keeping people guessing. Oh, I didn't know about that. I think mine's gonna be very slumpy, so hopefully, hopefully you can carry us this time. Oh, I will, because I have quite a tale to tell you. But first friend of the show, Mary-Kate, sent me something, and I would like to ask you about it. Okay. See if there's any validity to this meme she sent me. We all know memes are absolutely airtight. So, John Boyega. Yes, Finn. Five foot nine. Five foot nine. Daisy Ridley. Ray. Five foot seven. Okay. Oscar Isaac. Poe. Five foot nine. These are little people. Yes. However, Gwendolyn Christie. Captain Phasma. Phasma. Yeah. Six foot three. She's a big lady. Adam Driver? Yeah. Six foot three. Whoa, really? Yes. Domnall Gleason? That's Hux. Yes. Six foot one. Hayden. All the baddies are tall. The good guys are short. Hayden Christensen? Six foot. Whoa. So, what I'm wondering is, do you have to be six foot or over to join the dark side? I think you've got to be tall to be evil. I think the more tall you are, the more bad blood is in you. Except Darth Vader, David Prowse... Yes. Big man. How tall? Like over six feet, like six, six and a half feet tall. Like he was big. Holy cannoli. Yeah. Big German guy. At Palpatine, shorter side. Well, he's an old man. Maybe he was six feet back in his prime or maybe, something. Maybe. Maybe. He's a younger man. I have to say, presumably Anakin only reached six feet mm, once he hit maturity. Right. Which, he was still fairly young in the third Star Wars movie, wasn't he? Wasn't He was like, like 18 years, 20 years old, I think. 20, something yeah. like that. So he still had room to grow, even. But he got his legs chopped off, so that kind of cut some inches off Yes, but then they had to put, maybe he went good for a while after they chopped his legs off. It's like, I feel really good, yeah. And they're like, we can't have this. He's like crap and sunshine and rainbows all over the place, so they made him into a robot that was over six feet tall. Give him even bigger legs this time. And snap, he became more evil than ever. Oh my god. And you notice, he kind of goes back on the dark side stuff in Return of the Jedi. He does. When he gets knocked down, and he gets his hand cut off. So maybe that's... Once he's lower to the ground, once he's less than six feet above the ground... He feels like a good guy. He feels good again. Yeah. That's why Darth Vader always turns good when he goes to sleep at night. But then when he stands up, he's like, oh, nope, nope, I'm uh, feeling it again. Dark I'm... side of the force. I feel very evil now, because I woke up. When I'm supine, I'm very good. Yeah. Is there any validity to that, is what I'm asking. Uh, I would say the evidence is all there. I would say it maybe requires a bit more observation. I mean, Supreme Leader Snoke, very big man. Giant man, one could say. Yeah. I would say he was easily at least 10 feet tall. Jabba the Hutt, very big guy. Giant man. I mean, more slug than man, but Can yes. you think of a single bad character in Star Wars that was under 6 feet tall? Well, Greedo. I just thought of one. But Greedo is kind of small. But that's why he got killed. He wasn't good at being bad because he was so small. Watto. Watto. Small. Small. Small guy. Sebulba. But, uh, but, uh, 
Mm. But those are small-time bads. We're talking big-time bads who are... I don't think Watto and Sebulba and Greedo were in the dark side of the Force. Oh, no. no they weren't no. even Force-sensitive. There's not a single Force-sensitive baddie who's under six feet tall, and... Well... You can quote me on that. The video games would argue with you. Don't get ahead of yourself there, partner. Okay, stop speaking elvish. I don't understand what you're saying. All right, I'm sorry. Gonna learn me something? I am gonna learn you something. Oh, my goodness, the drama I have for you today. Oh my gosh, is this like Middle Earth TMZ today? This is super Middle Earth TMZ. This is the kind of dirt that okay. Ryan Seacrest would squeal over. <laughs> That's how Ryan Seacrest sounds when yeah. he hears a juicy bit of hot goss. Ooh. Last time, we talked about the birth of the elves and their journey across Middle Earth to Valinor, yes? Yeah, not all of them made it. Exactly. Only some of them actually made it to Valinor, and others got lost, lazy, and or rebellious. Right. And they decided they were going to stay in Middle Earth. So today we're only going to focus on the factions that made it to Valinor. Now, I know I said that I don't find them as interesting as the more down-to-earth Middle Earth elves, but this is an interesting chapter in their history, and I think you'll enjoy I still, it. I want to hear all sides. I want to hear about these overachieving elves. Right. Well, so we'll worry about the other factions, the Sindar and the Nandor, next week. Okay. Do you remember the names of the three factions that made it to Valinor? Well, I remember the leaders. There was Ingwe, Fingwe, and other one. Ah, well, you can't remember him because Elwe never made it to Valinor. So Ingwe and Fingwe's folks. Could you remind me and the listeners of their names? Sure. Uh, it's okay. I don't expect you to remember. There were the Vanyar, or the Fair Elves. Mm-hmm. The Noldor, or the Deep Elves. Okay. And the Thalmari, which was the branch of the Teleri that actually bothered to make the transcontinental journey. Mm-hmm. Okay? Okay. Cool. So today we're talking about the Vanyar, the Noldor, and the Thalmari. Now, let's see what they were up to in the Three, three ages, ages of, of bliss. bliss. Yeah, I think that part got cut out of our last episode, but when they got, like, when elves were at their prime, right? They had three ages of bliss. In Valinor, yes. Yeah. And I double-checked. This was all well before the beginning of the first age. So I'm pretty sure three ages is used euphemistically here. What it means is that they were in bliss for a long, long time. We can't even comprehend how long it would be. Is it like not outside of regular Middle Earth time? No, I think there's actually some years. I could probably look it up and tell you exactly how long the three ages of bliss were. My guess is not long enough to be ages. Well, elves are pretty much immortal. You could, I mean, an age to them is like an eternity for us. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. I'll look it up. Okay. Now, the Vanyar. As the first elves to make it to Valinor, the Vanyar were considered the highest of the high elves. And their leader, Ingwe, was called the High King of the Elves. This afforded him special privileges. Namely, he got to live with Manwe in his great fortress, Tanaquetl. Oh, really? Which was super tall, so he was, like, literally the highest Manwe's of the elves. Manwe's a Valar. That gets to hang out with Valar? He does. Whoa. He does. That's what they got for jumping on the Valinor deal early. He gets to hang with gods. He gets to hang with gods. Whoa. But... As cool as that is, that's just about all there is to say about the Vanyar, because they never returned to Middle-earth, and they also didn't get caught up in any of the capital D drama that occurred at the end of the Three Ages of Bliss. So, we're not really going to talk about them anymore. They just kind of ascended into their lofty heights and their ivory tower and never came back. The closer to God people get, the less interesting they get. Yeah. I feel like that's yeah. true in Arda as it is in our modern world. Ooh, hot take. Hot take! Hot take! I hate religion. Actually, I don't. I don't at all. 
TMZ, host of the popular What's Lightsaber podcast, Joanna Lesher, hates religion. I actually really can't stand edgelords who want to trash religion all the time. Like, at all. I want to throw that out there. Joanna thinks that they believe in a sky wizard. (laughs) God, please, don't paint me like that. Joanna caught burning a Bible in front of a mosque. Hell for me is other atheists. Let me just say that right up front. Okay. So, moving on to Noldor, these were the elves that followed Finway as their lord, and they sort of hitched their wagon to Aule the Smith, right? Right. In the process, they became, quote-unquote, the greatest of the elves in matters of lore and craft. Okay. And one of the most famous Noldor is someone I've mentioned before several times, Feanor. Oh, yeah, sure. Full-time Silmaril craftsman and part-time a-hole. Right, I remember he's the guy who made the Silmarils, right? He made the Silmarils, and he didn't want to give them to the Valar to rekindle the two trees. Right, he was a real jerk about it. Oh, and that you don't even know. That's just the tip of the iceberg. We are going to delve into just how much of a jerk Feanor was. Okay. Right? So he was the son of Finway, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that. No. So he was kind of like a prince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, now stick a pin in that, okay. because the Noldor are going to have a pretty amazing fall from grace at the end of all this. I can't wait. Lastly, we've got the Falmari, who came last to Valinor and settled in Alqualonde. Alqualonde was on the eastern shore of Valinor next to the sea. And Alqualonde was also called the Haven of the Swans because there were just a massive number of swans there. That sounds terrible. I was going to say, that makes you wonder why they decided to settle there because swans are the worst. They're the most jerks of birds. They are the most jerks of birds. But for some reason, these elves apparently feared neither god nor man nor swan. Wow, okay. So they settled in the Haven of Swans and it was from their chosen location that the Falmari earned their name, which means sea elves. It's important to note that Alqualonde is also known as the site of the kinslaying. Whoa. Yeah. Can you tell that things are about to heat up? I mean, that, that's exciting. That's an exciting name. Just you wait. Yeah. Just you wait, my man. So, you'll remember that Morgoth was imprisoned at this time for harassing the newborn elves, right? Yeah. Workplace harassment and what have you. Right. Well, when the term of his imprisonment was over, he sued the Valar for release. Hold on. Do you literally mean that? Are there, like... Elf lawyers. Okay. Again, I'm not sure what legal proceedings were like in Valinor, but you must have been able to sue people because that's what Morgoth did. What? I think they're talking sue in, like, sort of a more old-fashioned poetic sense, not sue in a legal sense, I think. I mean, did Tolkien use the word sue? He did. Tolkien. He used the word sue. He sued for his release. I mean, all I can picture now is just, like, an Ace Attorney-style, like, courtroom battle, you know... Like his parole his hearing. parole hearing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. It'd be an objection! He gets, you know, some years knocked off for good behavior. Yeah. You're gonna have to accept it because that's what he did. Okay. So he was like, dudes, I'm really sorry. I'll totally aid you in all your good works from now on. Pinky swear. And Manway was like, yeah, that sounds sincere. So, yeah, Morgoth, yeah. he's good for it. There's he's, absolutely he's, no he's way that's gonna backfire on yeah, us. Yeah, he's, he's good for I'm, it. I'm gonna let him out of jail. So, surprise, surprise, Morgoth totally had his fingers crossed behind his back, and he continued to hate the Valar and everything they stood for. Surprise, surprise. And he also hated the elves for bringing about his imprisonment. Now, 
We need to talk for a second about the staggering degree of victim blaming that Morgoth was doing here. Morgoth, you kind of brought it on yourself, bud. Yeah. He, like, literally tortured the elves and tampered with their DNA or whatever. Right. And now he's getting all sulky that they got his ass arrested. You can't do that. That's... Well, you know, maybe from his perspective they were asking for it. No, that's gross. So truly Morgoth is the jerk of all jerks. Yeah. And anyway, once he saw the Silmarils and how beautiful they were, he decided that he especially hated Feanor. Yeah. That guy sucks. He is a petty hoe. So what Morgoth did was he began spreading subtle lies among the elves, telling them that the Valar had only brought them to Valinor to clear the way for men to inherit Middle-earth. He started rumors. He's like, guess what? Your parents like your younger brothers better. Is Morgoth like the mean girl of, of... Of Valinor here? He kind of is, because it gets even worse. Oh, no. He also told Feanor that Feanor's half-brother, Fingolfin, was planning to overthrow Finway so he could become the leader of the Noldor. He's such a Regina George. He is a massive Regina George. Holy moly. This pissed Feanor off, mm-hmm. kind of a hothead, as we've established, so he took up arms against his brother, whereupon he was promptly banished by the Valar. Oh, no. Not banished from the continent, well, but van banished to a fortress called Formanos. I mean, Feanor was a jerk, though. Like, I mean, he kind is it, of Is was. it a big loss? Um, well, I think the bigger loss was Finway because Finway went with him by oh, choice. Oh, okay. So I think it's pretty clear who the favorite son was. Yeah, yeah. All right, so the Valar found out what Morgoth was up to, being a mean girl. Mm-hmm. And they were like, dude, you promised. So, sensing that the jig was up, Morgoth decided to go full hog and just straight up destroy the two trees of Valinor and still the Silmarils. By the way, he killed Finway while he was at it because why the hell not, right? So that was part of the story you told before with, yes. with him and his, his spider friends. Exactly, exactly. Oh, That's where no. that came in. So the death of their leader and the loss of the Silmarils got the Noldor kind of riled. So they vowed to just go ham on Morgoth and pursue him to the ends of the earth under the leadership of Feanor. Okay. And Morgoth had fled to Middle-earth, so guess where the Noldor decided to go? Go to Middle-earth. Exactly. Torches and pitchforks. Exactly. Now, there was one problem with this, though. Mm-hmm. The Noldor didn't have any ships, and it's not like Olmo was going to carry them across the sea, because the Valar were totally not down with this plan. How? They're smart. They can build boats. They couldn't, actually. Oh. They didn't know how. Even though they were the masters <laughs> of lore and craft, yeah. Owley taught them everything, but apparently not how to Owl-ay. build boats. That knowledge was forbidden. They like missed that day of Alway school? Like... I mean, they didn't live next to the sea, so maybe they had no reason to okay, build ships. Okay. However, the Falmari and their haven of swans had plenty of ships. Oh, yeah. So the Noldor asked for some, and the Falmari were like, what do you need them for? And the Noldor were like, defying the will of the Valar and murdering the practically omnipotent evil spirit who took our jewelry. Reasonable. The Falmari were like, that sounds kind of shady, and they refused to give the Noldor any ships. So this is where things get kind of dark. Feanor and his followers launched a full-on assault against the Falmari and slaughtered a ton of them. All that for swan boats? Yes. This event was later called the Kinslaying. Oh, I see. It was the first time elf turned against elf. Elf on elf action. Oh, Oh, no. Yes, so... A total bloodbath in the Haven of Swans. Elves in humanity to elves. Yes, and elves in elfmanity to elves. Yeah. And having murdered their own brethren, the Noldor basically couldn't stay in Valinor anymore. They'd kind of burned that bridge. So they took the ships of the Falmari and sailed toward Middle-earth. 
And at this point, the Valor allowed them to depart because they're like, we don't want anything to do with you guys anymore. This is real sticky wicket. You don't want to get your fingers in this. Exactly. Like, ooh, we're not touching that. So they did close Valinor against the Noldor so they could never return. Never? Well, years and years later, the exile was kind of relaxed and the Noldor were allowed to return. Even Galadriel, who had actually played an active role in the rebellion. Ooh. Galadriel was the niece of Feanor. Okay, was she there at the kinslaying? She was. How many kin did she slay? It's not specified, but I assume a lot because Galadriel is scary as hell. And all her people are just like her, right? So they're all going to be really scary. Yep. Just to take a bunch of swan boats. Just to take a bunch of swan boats. But the Valar ultimately forgave her due to her actions in the War of the Ring. So that's a happy ending. For her. For her. But for now, the Noldor are totally disgraced and everyone hates them. Meanwhile, as we've already discussed, Morgoth is back in Middle-earth and raising hell. Mm-hmm. And the poor Sindar and, to a lesser extent, the Nandor are just beside themselves. And suddenly, here comes Feanor and the Noldor out of the West. And the Sindor and the Nandor were like, Yay! The Valor sent emissaries to save us! Yay! And Feanor and company were like, Ha-ha! Yeah, totally! That's what happened! Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> so Feanor and the Noldor fought a great battle against Morgoth called Dagar Noin Gilath, or Battle Under Stars, and the Noldor won that one battle. Good! Soon after, Feanor's bro, Fingolfin, and his followers also arrived in Middle-earth, and their arrival was heralded by the first rising of the moon, and immediately thereafter, the first appearance of the sun. All right. So to the elves of Middle-earth, it was like they had been rescued by divine intervention. But they weren't. Right. So the coming of the Noldor was considered a miracle. However, little did they know, the Noldor were actually cursed, and their war with Morgoth would eventually destroy the elvish kingdoms of Middle-earth. Oh, no. But that's another story for another time. My goodness. So when they beat Morgoth, what happened to him? Oh, you know, he retreated back to Tumno and launched a new assault. Okay, okay. He keeps kind of, you know, leaving, coming back. And... I mean, he hung around for a long time. As we've discussed, it wasn't really until Baron and Luthien gave the Silmaril that they stole to Arendil, and Arendil went and asked the Valar for help. Yeah. And then the Valar came and finally destroyed Morgoth for good. Okay, so it's still a long time before they get sick of his crap and launch him into space. Yes, exactly. Okay. Wow. Still got the whole first age to go that through. That is a dramatic story. I didn't really. I mean, I remember last week I said I thought the Noldor were kind of obnoxious. You described them as like you know pretentious hipsters, and I was like, yeah, I don't feel good about these guys. And now they're like murderers. They're like murderers. Yeah. yeah, they are. They're like murderers, kinslayers. And they spent the rest of their lives until, of course, the Fourth Age when they went into the West. They spent the rest of their lives in Middle Earth, and they were kind of elite in Middle Earth. Because they had lived in Valinor before. Okay. So the elite of Middle-earth, the ruling class, bunch of kinslayers. Sheesh. Can you believe it? I can. That's a, that's a very dramatic story. You were right. That's some hot goss. Yeah, I told you it was exciting. Well, I'm interested to see where they go next. Well, next week will be our third installment on elves. Possibly our last. Okay. I have to sort of see how much I can fit into like 25 minutes, so we'll see. But for now, I'm interested to hear your hot goss. Well, my hot goss is a follow-up as well. So, again, this is an episode where if you haven't listened to previous ones, you might be a little out of your depth. We're talking about things we've talked about before. and We're building on them. Right? Educationally speaking. We're, built, we're scaffolding here. Begin at the beginning, folks. Yeah. 
Because it's the very best place to start. I'm going today to talk about a book called The Lost City of the Jedi. The Lost City of the Jedi. Now, is this like another one of those novels for middle schoolers that's not strictly canon? More than that, Joanna, it's the second book in the Jedi Prince series. The first of which was The Glove of Darth Vader. Oh, this is the sequel to The Glove of Darth Vader? Yes. Ooh, do we get to find out what happened to Triclops and Trioculus? They're all here, baby. Oh my god, I'm really excited. Are the whales in it? No, no whaleodons. Now, I picked this because last week we talked a bunch about Cloud City, and I thought, I remember this book having a bunch of Cloud City in it. Yeah. And so I thought it'd be a good time to jump into it. Was uh, your memory correct? Does it have a lot of Cloud City? It has one chapter that takes place in Cloud City. Oh, For half of it. That's a lot. So, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was way off. I think it's the next book that takes place in Cloud City, actually. So <laughs> We'll get there someday. Yes, yeah, so this is this is the the Jedi Prince 2, The Lost City of the Jedi, again written by Paul Davids and Hollis Davids, who I found out are a married couple. Oh! And here's a fun fact. They first met at a screening in 1971 of THX 1138. George Lucas's first film. That's when they first met each other. My goodness. They are OG Star Wars fans. Yeah, and then 21 years later, this book came out in 1992, they wrote The Lost City of the Jedi. What I found out, this book came out the exact same day as The Glove of Darth Vader. What? Yeah, two books are published at the same time. But the third one wasn't. No, the third one was a month later. That's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. Well, I found out they did one and two together, three and four together, five and six together. Oh, God, it's not a trilogy. It's a six-parter? It's a six-part story. Thankfully, the books are all very short. But anyway, I, I know you're a big fan of The Glove of Darth Vader. Oh, could, could you kind of give a quick synopsis to people who haven't listened to the episode, like that story? Some... Yes. Okay. I can. So, after the Ewoks and the Rebels killed the second Death Star... Yeah. It opened up a bunch of rifts in space and time, and through one of them fell Darth Vader's glove. Yes. Which is like this all-powerful glove that can stop bullets and throw people around. And basically, Darth Vader was useless without this glove. This glove is very strong. This glove was everything. And the glove landed on this planet that was inhabited by sentient whales that sing opera. It's Admiral Akbar's planet. It's Admiral Akbar's planet. Yeah. So this evil dude called Triclops. Trioculus. This, in fairness to me, there is also a character called Triclops. It's very confusing, confusing, but Trioculus is our our main antagonist. So the main antagonist, Trioculus, has this glove down at the bottom of the sea on Admiral Akbar's planet and is guarding it um, because he wants to keep its power all to himself. Also, there's like a prophecy that the emperor had a son with three eyes and that that son will rise to power. And Triaculus explains that the emperor, the emperor's rule was so short-lived because he only had two eyes and not three. So Luke and company have to defeat Trioculus and get this glove. And then you find out that Trioculus actually isn't the son of the emperor. The emperor's son is a different three-eyed dude named Triclops. Yes. And Trioculus and company escape. Yep, there was a whole explosion on a submarine. Whaladons were there. I mean, that, that is the story. Yeah. That, that is the basic beats of it, yes. Good job, Joanne. You remember it a lot. Thanks. So, yeah, this book starts with another, just like Glove of Darth Vader, it recaps all three of the original trilogy movies. Again, for some reason, in case you're jumping in on book two. They came out at the same time! And then they recap... Why did you need it twice? <sighs> I don't know. And then they recap book one. 
But now we have intro to the next book yes. as well. So Triaculus is now on a journey to seek Kadan, to seek the Supreme Prophet's dark blessing and acceptance of his claim to be the rightful ruler of the Empire. Wait, did we talk about that last time? Kadan is the guy who had the prophecy about, like, he who wields the glove of Darth Vader will be the next emperor and stuff like that. Okay. Will rule the Empire. Okay. Meanwhile, Luke has arrived on Cloud City on Rebel Alliance business, and he is now on his way to visit Han Solo before he returns to the Alliance headquarters on the fourth moon of Yavin. Unknown to Luke, a strange dream is about to lead him on a mysterious quest, a search to find the legendary lost city of the Jedi. There's a lost Jedi city? Oh, there's a lot, yes. Really? Is that canon that there's a lost Jedi city? I don't know. Because in the eighth movie, which we just watched, there was like a Jedi island. There was. It has nothing to do with that. And it's pretty small. It has nothing to do with that. That's a different thing. And it had some books in a cave. And uh, spoiler, it's a lot stupider than that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so chapter one is called The Bomb and the Dream. <laughs> they have titles now. <laughs> so that, well, they didn't in the first <laughs> No, they didn't. I don't oh, think. Oh, okay, cool. So this um, is a new development. Yeah, so it, it kind of explains why Luke is on Cloud City. He's there because Lando has brought him there to help fight food pirates. <laughs> Sorry. So <laughs> like these are pirates that come. They don't steal money. They no. steal are they aware that money can be exchanged for goods and services? Well food pirates are invading all the big hotels and food storage companies so they can sell food to stormtroopers. Okay. The Empire. That's why Luke and the droids are there. Um, he goes to Han's half built sky house. Oh, good. I'm so glad that comes back. His little pet house that he's making for him and It's half built. So he invites Luke over. Him and Doing um, a bachelor's pad. Yeah, they make some food. Uh, Han cooks him a spicy Karelian meal. And Chewie makes some zuchberry pies. It's a zuchberry. You don't know what zuchberry? I have no idea what a zuchberry is. Well, that's an article for another day, isn't it? It was, it was the best zuchberry pie Luke ever had, it said. How many zuchberry <laughs> pies has Luke had? How common is it to eat zuchberry pies? I can't believe you don't know about zuchberry pies. Luke's like, hey, you want to come back to the spin base with us on, on Yavin 4? And Han's like, nah, I don't want to. So Luke's like, all right. I guess I mean, I'm gonna, I'm he followed his dream. He yeah, his I, I got to finish my sky house, he says. And so Luke's about to leave in his, in his ship. But when he gets into it, the ship explodes. <gasps> Those darn food pirates sabotaged it. And Cloud City's best doctors, they recover Luke, and but they can fix them all except for his mechanical hand. Oh. Only the people back at the spin base. And so Han reluctantly agrees to fly Luke back to Yavin 4 to get his hand replaced. Oh, well, um, what a good friend he is. Abandons them to build a penthouse and then can barely be asked to help his friend replace his hand. There's a really good sentence that says, His sky house is going to have to wait. Friendship came first. <laughs> Again, this book it's is written for even, children, so... It's not even just friendship. It's like a medical emergency. Yeah. So they make it back to Yavin 4. Han finally reunites with Leia. He has kind of a weird comment to her. and I, I don't know if you can kind of pick out what's weird about this, but he says, Luke had a little run-in with an exploding bomb. But fortunately, your brother's like a Kowakian lizard monkey that has nine lives. Now, do you know what a Kowakian lizard monkey is? No. Do you know Salacious Crumb? Jabba the Hutt's little guy like, hee 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 Really? That's what he's comparing him to? And they have nine lives? Do they? I don't so, want to think about what that. What this kind of presupposes is that Kowaki and Lizard Monkeys are to Star Wars what cats are to us. Oh, gross. Does that mean people have them as pets in their homes? I guess, but that's going to come back later. I want you to remember that point. Okay? All right, I'll stick a pin in that. Do they poop in boxes? I don't know. We never see Slacious Crumb poop, but I'm sure someone's written an article about blessing. it. I'm probably, yeah. Uh, Luke kind of recovers. And while he's recovering, he has a dream where he's flying above the jungle in his ship, above Yavin 4. And then he crash lands and he sees Obi-Wan Kenobi 
and he beckons him toward what he calls a tubular transport for descending underground. You know, like a flippant elevator is what it is. It's a, it's a tubular transport that goes straight down into the ground. Why aren't they allowed to say elevator? I feel like that's probably something when you're a kid, you don't catch on that it's literally just an elevator. Kind of like when you're a kid, you don't catch on that the Mario is literally just walking. Yeah. <laughs> Swinging your arms from side to side. Take one step and then again. It's Let's walk- do the Mario. It's walking, it's kids. Walking. It's teaching you how to walk. It's just walking. Um, uh, Obi-Wan has a, a prophecy for Luke or a vision. He says, Luke, this is the entrance that leads underground to the lost city of the Jedi. Your destiny is linked to one who lives down there. Memorize this code, Luke. Its importance will soon become clear to you. And the code is, it sounds a lot cooler out loud than it does in print. Okay. J-E-9-9 D-I- Eight eight, F O R zero zero C E. Then he faded away. So in case you didn't catch that, listener, he spelled the word Jedi and Force with numbers in between the letters. <laughs> That's so stupid. And that is the secret code that he needs to remember later. I also think it's really dumb that the Force ghost of your dead mentor. You're like, oh my god, it's so good to see you. I have so many questions. What's it like on the other side? She's no. like, memorize this pin. Here's an elevator. <laughs> Here's my ATM code. I have a, a tubular transport <laughs> and a code for you. Here's today's winning lotto numbers. <laughs> cool, yeah. Obi-Wan. Thanks for ruining the moment. Yeah. So uh, Luke wakes up and immediately goes to fly a ship above the jungle to find where this place is. That's chapter one. Okay. The bomb in the dream. Wow, a lot happened. I mean, I thought it was not that much, but clearly there was more than I thought reading this out. Anyway, on to chapter two, which is called Ken's Secret Journey. It starts with a 12-year-old boy named Ken being woke up by his pet Mooka named Zebo. So I'm looking at a picture of Zebo, and it kind of looks like a Boston Terrier with a beak and bird talons and a bird tail. Yeah, he's kind of like a little hippogriff without wings. He's very cute. And the sound of uh, a mooka makes is... Why does it sound like a hi-hat? Well, it's K-S-S-S-S-S-S-H-H-H-H-H-H-H. Okay, cool. And Ken says, stop kissing in my ear. You do that every morning, too. Just once I wish I could hear a bark of a dog or the meow of a cat instead of the ksh of a mooka. That's the pet you have, you ungrateful ass. Now, you didn't, I don't think you noticed this, but... Cats! They said cats! The Nine Lives of Kowaki and Lizard Monkey. Were you to believe that cats and dogs also exist in Star Wars? So, does that mean cats also have nine lives? Or does that mean that the positions of cats and lizard monkeys are, like, swapped? I don't know. Well, the next thing Ken says raises further questions, because Zebo gets all offended. I uh, would, too! jerk. And so Ken rubs his ears and says, don't be jealous. You know I love you. Besides, I've never even seen a cat or a dog, except in pictures in the Jedi library. What? Are they like semi-legendary? That's what I'm wondering. In that case, how does he know what noises they make? Yeah. He's never even seen one. This raises a lot of questions about the Star Wars universe. So it's either like he's never seen one before because he's he's never seen one in real life, or they're like a unicorn or extinct, like a dinosaur. So that's weird. That's weird. We meet Ken's droid friends. There's DJ88, who's the librarian of the Jedi Library. Cool. And there's also the homework correction droid, HC100. 
the homework correction droid. Yeah, this is a book for kids. So, so. it's not it's not a teacher droid. Literally, all it does is no. He corrects your homework. He's described as exactly like C three PO, except for blue. Ken kind of hates it. He's planning to bail since he found the codes to get in the tubular transport. God, why can't they just say elevator? He's gonna miss everyone, but especially Zebo and Chip. Who's Chip? Ken considered Chip short for microchip, his best and only friend. Ken often wished that Chip was a human boy rather than just a metallic droid who's programmed to act like a boy and keep Ken company. So sad. They haven't really explained the setting here. They're kind of they're kind of doling out a little out of time. Like, where is he? You're kind of getting some ideas that Ken might be in prison or something. something. Yeah. So Chip comes in and tells him to get dressed for school. He took off his silver pajamas and put on his silver school clothes. Okay. I don't know why, but silver was his favorite color. Maybe it was because of the semi-transparent silvery crystal he always wore around his neck, or maybe it was because silver was the color of Chip, and Chip had been his droid friend and helper for as long as he could remember. But is he aware that Chip literally he's not allowed to dis? like you like his programming won't let him it's, it's kind of a sad tale already right this ken poor stupid silver kid then hc comes in and tears him a new one because he got his report all wrong he said that he said that luke flew the millennium falcon at the battle of yavin what an idiot oh my god you stupid moron ken? anything come on dude and the droids tell him how terrible it is in this place called top world and he's safe underground. Oh, does he live under the ground? Yes, because he is what the droids call a Jedi Prince. <gasps> the titular Jedi Prince of the Jedi Prince series. Really? Yeah. And DJ won't tell him anything about Top World. He won't even tell him who Ken's parents are. But underground with a bunch of droids, they make his life suck. So Ken makes a fake key card that has like all the codes put in it. And he goes to the tubular transport and it works amazingly. Oh, wow. But then he's caught by Chip. Oh, no, his friend. So I got some Reader's Theater here. It's kind of like, if this was the movie, this would be Ken's big, like, Oscar monologue. When they, they would play during the, like, during the best uh, actor. Who would oh. play, play Ken, you think? Um, 12-year-old boy. Haley Joel Osment. Haley Joel Osment. But, like, now. Like, Not now. Haley Joel Osment in the sixth sense, but so, adult Haley Joel Osment, who looks like Al from Home Improvement. Imagine big, round-faced adult <laughs> Haley Joel Osment saying these lines. Now, do you want to play Chip, or do you want to play Ken? I'll be Ken. Okay, so I'll be Chip. All right. Ken, this is very irregular. You know full well you're not permitted to enter the tubular transport and go top world until you're a man. Besides, you didn't take your vitamin syrup. How do you ever expect to become big enough and strong enough to defend yourself? But I hate the taste of vitamin syrup. I want to find out what real food tastes like for once in my life. I want to have some dessert for a change. And I don't mean vitamin mints either. I mean real desserts like ordinary kids get to have. I want to see the sky and the rainforest. I want to travel to other stars and planets. Chip, I'm going top world and don't try to stop me. But as long as you're here, you might as well come along. I may need a droid to help me. Dweep, dweep! The tubular transport started beeping, a signal for all passengers to enter. You don't know what you'll find up there in Top World. What do you know about bounty hunters, or, or, or stormtroopers, or Imperial Grand Moths, or Minoc Bats, or Rancor creatures? There are alien boy sellers who might steal a boy like you and sell you into a life of slavery in the spice mines of Kessel! Kent ignored Chip and grabbed the silver droid by the arm, tugging him into the tubular transport. Suddenly the door slid shut. Kent pushed the button that said, Top World! And the tubular transport began to rise like a rocket. And scene. Scene. See, when I hear the phrase boy sellers, I think of something a lot more insidious than mining spices. Right. Again, this this was a book for children. Yeah, yeah. Now, one thing I didn't mention about The Glove of Darth Vader, this book actually has illustrations. And Glove of Darth Vader had illustrations as well, and I kind of forgot to show them to you, but I did find a, a picture of the underground city of the Jedi here. Uh, like which the I'll Jetsons. Post yeah, it's kind of like a futuristic city. Ken's by himself with a bunch of droids around. 
You got a sign that says 12 South Jedi Lane in English. Cool road names. And you see a droid that has THX1 as its code name, which oh, is pretty fun. It. Yeah, yeah. The illustrators had some fun with this book. I like the illustrations, actually. They're pretty good, they're right? pretty good. It's you know, like black-white ink drawings. I'll post them on the, on the page. Chapter 3 is called Flying with the Force. It starts with our boys, Troculus and Grand Moff Hissa. Oh my god, I forgot about Grand Moff Hissa. The man with sharpened teeth and a name like a snake. Going for the snake motif. He's all in. And they're going to see the, the Prophet Kadan in the Null Zone. Which is where he lives. The Null Zone? Hissa is kind of giving Troculus some bad news. He says, well, like, a lot of the, you know, the, the other Imperial Moffs and Grand Admirals, they, they don't accept your claim as the Emperor's son. I mean, he's not. He has to get the dark blessing of Kadan. And so Troculus furiously blinked all three of his eyes. His two ordinary ones, plus his third eye, which is in the middle of his forehead. I forgot that they're always specifying whether he does things with all three of his eyes, or just two, or just one. Right. They always want you to know exactly how many eyes he's using. Troculus has three eyes, one's in his forehead. I mean, if you couldn't tell by the name Trioculus, yeah, then so I don't know how to help you. So they're going to Kadan to get his dark blessings. Uh, meanwhile, Luke is flying over the uh, jungle like we left him. He sees a temple below. He lands and then he meets a strange alien with green rubbery skin. And the strange alien says, You come from afar, so very welcome you are. Oh, is it Yoda? <laughs> I thought that too. It's actually Baji, the nine foot tall, <laughs> vine haired, rhyming Hoden. How could I forget Baji? Everyone's favorite. I got a picture of Baji. He's got kind of like vines for hair. He looks kind of like a Medusa or something. Yeah, he does kind of look like Medusa. Tall. He has very cute sort of anime eyes. He's not so cute once he starts talking because he speaks entirely in rhymes. Ew. Baji is my name. I'm glad that you came. Hoden Hira am I. May these plants never die. From them comes health. The only true wealth. I hate Baji. It's the kind of thing where like people who write books maybe don't always know how to write poetry. And so, like, the cadence of these poems are really bad. The syllable counts are really off. Yeah, no, it's, you know, whose rhyming is always on point. Huh. Tolkien's. Tolkien, I know. He was actually a, a scholar. He knew what he was doing. I mean, say what you will about the nonstop songs and poems. I know a lot of people complain about them, but the meter is on point. Yeah, Paul and Hollis David's maybe not the best of poetry. So Luke sees something silver in the bushes, but it turns out it's just freaking Chip. Chip, god damn it. And Ken's there, too. And he sees Luke, and he is starstruck. He starts creeping him out by reciting everything he's ever done. His whole history. He knows everything about Luke Skywalker. Jeez, coming on a bit strong there, Ken. But while he's going off about this, DJ-88 arrives, the Jedi librarian droid. <laughs> Wait, why was why is the Jedi librarian droid there? He's looking for Ken. Oh, Bring him back to the lost city no. of the Jedi. And so uh, he scolds Ken and then shoots smoke from his hands. <laughs> and when the smoke clears, Ken... And Chip and DJ are all gone. Oh, so that's the end of that plot line. Baji helpfully tells Luke, Jedi Knight, your search is in vain. Gone they are, deep into the forest of rain. I hate him. I really, really hate him a lot. Is Baji in this a lot? Yes, he's a major character. So, Dang it. Yes. <laughs> so Baji, I mean, who do you think played Baji in this movie? Mm, Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Definitely for us. CGI to be a nine foot tall alien. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what I'm picturing. Okay. Okay, cool. Chapter four is the Dark Blessing. So finally, a Triaculus and Hissa meet with Kadan on space station Scardia in the Null Zone. And they describe Kadan. Wearing his glittering, flowing prophet's robe, the black bearded dwarf strolled slowly through one of Scardia's many corridors on his way to the Chamber of Dark Visions. He was calmly sipping his tea, boiling tea that would have scalded the tongue of any ordinary man. 
Whoa, what a hard ass. He's a tea-drinking dwarf. He is strong enough and man enough to drink boiling hot tea. Again, maybe a Lord of the Rings connection here? Ah, uh, see, the fact that there are even dwarves. Right, I've never-, never seen that in any Star Wars-related media before. Here's a picture of Kadan. I'll put that up. I like him. He's kind of got like this his, cool his star space cloak. robe. His cloak looks like outer space. It's really cool. But there's more about his tea. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah. Well, it leads I have into so more, many questions It still. leads into more important information. So, Kadan's tea was made from fungus-infested bark that came from the forest moon of Endor, where the furry Ewoks live. First of all, gross. Well, again, we said Endor is Middle-earth, or Arda, rather. So. Yes, that was the second part I wanted right. to point out. So, he's drinking Middle-earth tea, yeah. and he's a dwarf. Some said that it helped him dream of the future, but Kadan's prophecies didn't always come from his dreams. The inspiration for Kadan's prophecies more often came from his secret network of very ruthless and efficient spies. Ooh. So straight up they tell us, Kadan's kind of full of it. He's not a real prophet. He's not a real prophet. He's a fraud. Although sometimes I kind of like that type of character. Right. And he uses bribery, sabotage, and treachery, and sometimes even murder to make the prophecies come true. Oh, I like this character. You like, you like Kadan? I like Kadan. He's a fun character. Yeah. And so Kadan brings Troculus and Hissa into his chamber of dark visions, where he sits at a table that has all these different colored balls made of chalk. Mm-hmm. When Troculus claims to him that he is the son of Palpatine, Kadan takes a yellow ball and crushes it in his hand, which Hissa says, It's a lie, my lord. That means a lie. We got some Reader's Theater. Do you want to do it with me? It doesn't involve squeezing balls. Well, it can be Kadan or Troculus. It's not mm. a very long conversation. I'll be Kadan. Okay. Emperor Palpatine's son does not look like you. You call yourself Supreme Prophet of the Dark Side, Kadan, yet you don't know that the Emperor fathered a son who was born with three eyes. But where were those three eyes? One was here. Kadan pointed to his own right eye with his forefinger. And one eye was here. He slowly moved his forefinger to his left eye. Then Kadan moved his finger behind his head. And his third eye was here at the back of his head. With his third eye, he could see his enemies from behind. Troculus, whose three eyes were all in the front of his face, scowled. Oh my god, so he has three eyes, but they're all in the wrong places. Right. And he reveals that the true son of Palpatine was a slave on Kessel. And if you remember right, Troculus was the slave master of Kessel. Holy cow! Does that mean he stole Triclops' identity? Possibly. And then he crushes a red ball, which means murder! Because he thinks Triculus killed the true son of the Emperor, Triclops. My goodness. You know what this is like? What? This is like Mad Men. It is like. Which is a show I've never seen. And all I know is that Don <laughs> Draper assumes somebody else's identity. And I'm assuming that it went down exactly like this. There's a dwarf crushing chalk balls. Yeah. I think that's a big part of Mad Men. Right? He thinks he's going into like a marketing meeting. And there's just a dwarf sitting there who starts crushing balls. And... <laughs> Don Draper's like, the jig is up. Yeah. So Hissa kind of lets Kadan in on their little plan. And, like, he knows Triclops is insane and he's being kept somewhere safe. So he's not actually dead. Uh, and Triclops is really going to be good at this emperor thing. He promises. And he's got the glove of Darth Vader, which is part of the prophecy. So, basically, they have to let him be the emperor. But then he crushes a silver ball. The ball of the Jedi Prince. Ah, who loves silver? A Jedi Prince whose prophecy says he will kill you, Trioculus. <gasps> but Triclops says, no, no, no. I'm going to kill that Jedi Prince first. Kadan finally gives him his dark blessing. Even though he knows, and he's a fake, well, Kadan's a fake too, so. Right. Fakes gotta stick together. They do. Yeah, so that's chapter four. Now we're in chapter five, which is called A Path of Fire. Uh, So Triaculus remains still, blinking his three eyes. Again. Again. All three of them. He lost vision for a minute there, before he left. Why? Remember in the last book, he started losing his vision whenever he would use his fake force lightning? Oh, that's right. That's right, that's right. He set sail for Yavin 4. 
A few days later, they're having a spin meeting. Spin being that in- information network that Luke and Leia and Han are part of. Yeah. They're having a meeting, but then an Imperial communication device explodes through the roof like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> it's got a camera oh, on it. Oh, yeah! And Troculus is watching from his ship. And he notices Princess Leia, and he says, She has a striking face. Strong features, but soft. Not at all unattractive, considering she's a Rebel Alliance woman with only two eyes. <laughs> So the fact that he has three eyes, does that mean he's usually only attracted to women who have three eyes? I guess. How many three-eyed people are in Star Wars? Triclops and Triculus, I don't know. Maybe I feel they're... like two. Yeah. Does that mean the only person he, he's normally attracted to is Triclops? I feel like that's going to be where the story's going to go. But then he starts to speak through a hologram to them. He says, I've just sent you a little gift that has penetrated your weak security system. It is armed with an explosive of awesome power. In just 20 seconds, I shall detonate it and destroy the entire Rebel Alliance Senate. However, to show my goodwill, I hereby agree to spare your lives if one of you announces at once the location of the entrance to the lost city of the Jedi. The 20 seconds now begins. One, <gasps> two... Oh my god. And Luke chops it in half with his lightsaber, and it, goes, it stops. Wow! Awesome power! So Triclus goes, oh snap! And he goes for plan two, <laughs> which is invading Yavin with are transport carriers filled with TNTs. TNTs are not explosive. They're actually treaded neutron torches, which are tanks that shoot fireballs at people. Holy cow! So his plan is to find the lost city of the Jedi by burning down the entire rainforest. <laughs> so he's going to burn down literally all... So this is quite an ecological message. Right. So, Before we had saved the whales, and now we have saved the rainforest. So the tanks land, they start setting the forest on fire. Traculus lands to see how cool it is, but suddenly goes blind. No! With a pain in his hand, which was wearing the glove of Darth Vader. <gasps> the glove is making him blind. Right. And so his medical droid, MD, checks him out, uh, which is, and again, I didn't catch that till I... MD. Right. Ho, ho, ho. Some stormtroopers come back and report that they found a Hoden healer walking around the forest. Oh, my God. He orders him to go capture that Hoden healer so he can heal his dang eyes. Don't do it. Don't go anywhere near that Hoden healer. That's chapter five. Oh, my God. That's kind of short. Chapter six is called A Healer's Secret. I don't care about his secrets. I don't care about him. I hate him. So Ken sneaks out of the lost city of the Jedi again, and he meets up with Baji in the forest, and he asks him if he's seen his computer notebook. And he responds with another poem. Find it I did. In my hut it is hid. Come there with me, and your notebook you shall see. You know what? Like, a yes or no would have sufficed, Baji. So they go into the hut, and they see the forest fire coming closer. The weapons of the Empire did cause this big fire. So now the end is near for a forest so dear. Baji, go get a pail of water, okay? Yeah. Ken offers to take him underground, and he refuses. He says, My work here is done. From this forest I shall run. My people are on their way. A spaceship comes next day. Oh, my God. So Ken just takes off. And as soon as he, <laughs> Bye, Baji! And as soon as he leaves, stormtroopers capture Baji. <laughs> <laughs> wow, the Jedi Prince. And so Triculus orders Baji to heal his eyes. But Baji's way more interested in that glove that he's wearing. Since Darth Vader's glove you now do wear, blind you are, and next goes your hair. Take off the glove, or there is no doubt. Your teeth and nails shall all fall out. Your hands will rot. Your face will wilt. Loud you shall scream as in terror you melt. Whoa! The glove's gonna make him melt? How come it didn't make Darth Vader melt? I don't know. Or maybe it did. Maybe it did. His face did look kind of messed up. It did. So MD tells him, like, you know, he's got a point. And he's tra- got a point. <laughs> Traculus takes off the glove and sees his hand is already shriveled and beginning to rot. Oh, gross! He didn't notice before. But as soon as he takes it off, his vision comes back a little bit. Oh, well then stop wearing the glove, you stupid idiot. So Baji gives him a prescription. Eat the seeds of the purple flower, or your sight shall lose its power. To be fully cured, you must feed for a hundred days on the Kibo seed. 
So he has to sit around eating seeds for 100 days. Yeah, so Hissa asks him, like, where can we find these seeds? And Baji responds, Kibo flowers, so very rare, will soon be found nowhere, for the flames that you have spread shall soon make all Kibo plants dead. Oh, What's he saying, Hissa? asked Trioculus. I can't follow all of his Hoden rhyming. Trioculus, are you the stupidest person alive? So MD explains it to him, and Baji says he has some more seeds in his hut. So they rush over there, and when they get there, they see the TNTs about to set the hut on fire, exploding oh it. Oh my god, it... this is so Shakespearean. So Trioculus runs into the hut as it's on fire to get as many seeds as he can, but he only gets a small jar. Well, that's not going to last for 100 days. And he's very upset. Well, you're the one that decided to burn down the rainforest, you dumb idiot. Right. So now we're in chapter 7, the final chapter of The Lost City of the Jedi. Oh boy, oh boy. So the rebellion firefighters are out there dumping water on the forest fire, while Luke, Han, and Chewie look for Trioculus' secret jungle base. And Han says, I should be putting the finishing touches on my sky house right now. Will but- you shut <laughs> up about your sky house? But instead, I'm stuck piloting in Falcon on another crazy mission for the Alliance. Dude, this is like a life or death situation. Literally an entire ecosystem is about to be wiped off the face of the planet, and bad guys are about to find apparently the prince of the entire Jedi Order, and all you can talk about is your stupid house. Right. He's very selfish about the sky house. He's such an annoying jerk in this. I know, he's so cool in the movies, such a, such a jerk in these books. So they, they finally see the base. As they land, Han sees white in the jungle, something shining white. And he thinks it's a stormtrooper, so he shoots at it. It's actually DJ-88 and Ken. But Ken sees Han and Chewie and starts nerding out again about it. And we get kind of an interesting conversation. I think, I'm not going to explain why it's in, uh, interesting, but it has something to do with the new trilogy of movies. You're just going to throw me in blind here. Do you want to do a Reader's Theater with me? Yes. Do you want to be Ken again? Yep. I'll be Han. Okay. I've always wanted to meet you, Mr. Solo, for just about my whole life. You're one of the best Corellian pilots in the whole galaxy. What do you mean, one of? You know anybody better? Snoke Lerowen made the trip from here to the Bespin system in 15 standard time parts. The best the Millennium Falcon has ever done is 18 standard time parts. I looked that up in the Jedi Library. Han rolled his eyes in amazement. Who was this kid? Okay, okay, I'll admit I'm impressed. But Snoke Loran got wiped out in the Battle of Endor. We're talking about living Corellian pilots. Then I guess you're the best! Snoke. Right. So all those nerds who are like, they need to explain Snoke's backstory. Like, we didn't get enough about him. He just got killed off. Turns out, guys, he might have been a Corellian pilot who died in the Battle of Endor. Or did he? Either that, or he stole somebody's identity, just like Don Draper did in Mad Men. Just like Don Draper? Just like Trioculus? Everybody's Don Draper. Everybody's pulling a full Don Draper in this story. So, I thought that was interesting. The word Snoke, this, this was written in 1992, guys. So, Do you think that J.J. Abrams read this series? I think it's his favorite. Isn't that wild? Now we know who Snoke is, so everybody can stop complaining. Stop complaining. He's a Corellian pilot who faked his own death to become a, a Sith Lord. You got it. Good. Um, moving on. DJ and Ken take Luke, Han, and Chewie to the tubular transport <gasps> underground. And DJ, when they get down there, he reveals that the ancient Jedi terraformed Yavin 4. It used to be just a cold rock of a planet. Really? But they can alter its weather through these magic machines underground. And he can still change the weather. And so he suggests that if he was to move forward the rainy season, he could put out the forest fires. Yeah. Immediately. probably do that. Idiot, do it. Right. But he needs a special code to do it. Oh my god. Is the code Jedi Force with some numbers thrown in? J-E-9-9-D-I-A-A-F-O-R-O-0-0-C-E. It is. Luke enters it and of course it works. Immediately, torrential rain puts out the fire. 
on the Avon. Hey, all right. Yeah. The Jedi ships blow up most of the Imperial landers, and so Trioculus, Hissa, and Baji, who they've now imprisoned, go to their one remaining cruiser. As they surveyed the scene of destruction, Trioculus clutched a jar of Kibo seeds and touched his withered right hand to his face. <laughs> it was no longer the same handsome three-eyed face he'd seen before. In Trioculus's rush to get the Kibo seeds from Baji's hut, his face had been horribly burned. Now his face was covered in welts and blisters, and his skin was scorched. Did he cry about that with all three of his eyes? Probably. Oh, no. He takes the glove of Darth Vader, doesn't put it on. Instead, he orders MD to make an exact copy of it. Spin must be destroyed for this attack, Triculus said. Again, victim blamey, much like Morgoth. That's, the parallels are striking. Spin and every member of the Rebel Alliance and their Senate. Except. Except whom, Lord Triculus? Grandma Tissa asked reluctantly. We'll take Princess Leia alive. Oh, God, what a perv. So he falls asleep and has dreams about Princess Leia. He dreams about making her his queen, the queen of the Empire. Oh, that's gross. So finally, Ken leaves the Lost City of the Jedi to go with Luke on his adventures. He says goodbye to DJ88, HC100, and Zebo. But he takes frickin' Chip with him. Okay, but they don't take Boji, right? Boji is still captured by Triaculus. Does that mean he's going to show up in future books? Probably. Can they please just jettison him out of the airlock? <laughs> you don't like Baji? Kids love Baji. Did you like Baji when you were a kid? I don't know. I, I seem to remember writing... Like, we had to do a lot of stories in elementary school. In, yeah. like, fourth and fifth grade. And I seem to remember writing a character much like Baji. It was actually a, a chupacabra story I wrote. <laughs> and I think my main chupacabra hunter was very strongly based on Baji. Because he had dreadlocks and he spoke in kind of a rhyming cadence so you basically wrote baji fan fiction where baji was hunting a the mexican goat sucker yeah you were a cool kid i was very cool when i was nine but i hate him so that's the story of the lost city of the jedi oh my god got some more sound effects for you i'm ready zoom that's a ship a door whoop that's a transporter tubular transport door opening i got it well the door the door again that is a door. Wrong. It's DJ88. Are you serious? It's him shooting smoke out of his hands. That is the tubular transport malfunctioning. Tubular transport door malfunctioning. <gasps> nice. I kind of got it right. kind of got it. So, and I'll go to book three at another random point. What's book three called? Can I get a little preview? It's called The Revenge of Zorba the Hut. Zorba? Yes. Whoa. We'll find out about him at a later date. I thought Jabba was the only hut. No, there's many, There's a whole species of huts. I'll do huts next week, actually. I'll tell you about huts. Oh my god, I love huts. You want to learn about huts? Yeah. Okay. Oh, the big fat faces. Big fat faces. All right, well, that does it. That was great. Okay. What a rip-roaring story. And you gave me a rip-roaring story as well. Well, I guess we had a rip-roaring week here on the podcast. I hope it was rip-roaring for you guys, too. First thing we have before we end today, we actually have... A, a listener question. Explain Gandalf's, they spell Gandalf wrong, okay. metamorphosis. How did he become Gandalf the White, and have there been any other wizards in canon to change as well? That's a good question. So, in answer to your question, let me first say that there are five wizards that we know of. They're also called Istari, and they're special kind of Maiar, which are second-tier Ainur. Are you going to do an episode about the Ishtari at some point? I am going to do an episode about the Ishtari. I like that. So, the five Ishtari that we know of are Saruman the White, Gandalf the Grey, Radagast the Brown, and two unnamed Ishtari that are both blue. We don't know what happened to them. They came over to Middle-earth and then... Vanished? Died? Gandalf actually says in the Hobbit movie, at least, that he can't even remember what their names are. Oh, man, long time. 
In terms of why Gandalf turned white, it's essentially a Jesus metaphor. So when he fought the Balrog, he literally died. Like Gandalf actually- literally passed away for 20 days, and then he returned to life. And he was transfigured into Gandalf the White. I think the White was just to show that he had died and been resurrected. So, in terms of whether or not any other wizards have changed color, they have. Just not in the movies. Okay. Saruman the White, after he becomes evil and joins forces with Sauron, becomes Saruman of many colors. His Technicolor dream coat. And if you watch the Ralph Bakshi version... Oh, it's very good! There is an excellent scene where Saruman says, I am now Saruman of many colors! And he opens his cloak, and there's like a laser light show going on in there. Oh, it's really good. And I think that's to show that white signifying purity has been corrupted. So there's your answer. Good answer. Yeah, he is not, in fact, the only one to ever change colors. Interesting. Yes. Thanks for the question. Who says that? That was from Matt H. in oh, Chicago. Yes, our friend of the show, Matt H. Yeah, the actually writer. the one who wrote the Wilro Hood rap. Yep, Wilro Hood's ghostwriter. Yeah. Yep, so there are your answers about Gandolf. Thank you. So yeah, uh, that kind of ends our show here. If you want to get a hold of us, we have an email address, whatslightsabersprecious at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page and a Twitter account. If you just search What's Lightsabers Precious, I guarantee you we will be the only things that come up. We post a lot of extras and little Star Wars and Lord of the Rings related bits and bobs that we find around the internet. It's very fun. Uh, I misspoke last week when talking about rating our podcast. It's not the iTunes app you want to go to on your phone. If you have an Apple device, you want to go on the podcast app. You can rate and write a review right there on the app. You don't even have to download the gosh you gotta, yeah, Don't even listen to us. Just put stars on us. We don't even care. Honestly, we just want the ratings. We're all about the fame here. What's we're all about popularity. Precious? Yeah. And we're going to be the most popular girls in school. So just keep rating us up. We do have some stuff coming up on the line that would be kind of really interesting to you guys. Next week can be a regular show. But after that, Joanna is going to be on a trip. And guess where I'm going? New Zealand! Woo! Middle Earth itself! Yes, so my friend Teresa and I, my fellow Lord of the Rings super fan from high school, are finally fulfilling a decade-long dream and visiting New Zealand. We're going to see Hobbiton. We're going to see Edoras. We're going to hike around Mount Doom. It's going to be splendid. Oh, snap. But while I'm gone, we're still going to be releasing episodes. We're going to record something kind of special. I'll explain it on the day, but uh, just giving you guys a heads up. And when Joanna comes back, she'll give us a full rundown of of the real Middle-earth, the people on the ground, you know, what it's really like, first-hand account. So I'm excited to hear that. Yeah, it's going to be my Middle-earth ethnography. I can't wait. Until then... See you later. See ya.